This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So we're in a series called Everyday Church and we're kind of, normally we'd take a, a Bible passage and work it kind of fairly detailed through, run through the story, uh, but at the moment in this series on Everyday Church we're kind of jumping in and out of different passages so it's more what we do in everyday life and so we've talked about how do we uh, uh, tell people about the good news of Jesus in everyday life, I call that everyday mission, Tom served us last week talking about how do we build community together and we talked about how um, how we building community is a, a, a great way to ch- uh, express the love of Jesus. And so the kind of verse, if we're hanging it all on this, is a verse, uh, 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 10. It says, live such good lives among the pagans or the anti-Christian culture that though they may accuse you of evil, and if you're a Christian, you're going to get accused of what? You believe that? That's a bit narrow. That's a bit bigative. Though they accuse you of evil, they will see your good deeds and worship God when he visits. So in other words, the, the, the way we live our lives, so that uh, the secular world will ex- understand the good news of the love of Jesus as they experience it lived out in the community of us. So it's really nice actually to have somebody uh, who's fairly new to church say to me on Wednesday night, you know, this is a great community. I, I haven't really experienced anything like this. Uh, and it was almost like he was sort of saying there's something about you guys that, that, that's more than just your just nice middle-class Cheltenham people, most of us are. Um, but, you know, there's something more. There's something of the life of God that we can experience. But if we have mission and we have community, there's, there's, something, uh, there's something that's critical. And obviously, I, I, I've told you what that is. But uh, Mike Breen, who writes a lot on the subject of discipleship, says this says, the Western church has failed in the past because we're a car without an engine. A missional church or a missional community or a God-first community uh, is a new car that everybody's talking about right now. He's obviously been to our church and knows we've got a new page on the website. But it says, no matter how beautiful or shiny the vehicle, without an engine, it won't go anywhere. What is the engine of the church? It's discipleship. Discipleship is that... uh, Followership, disciple means learner. It means that, that, that it's that following of Jesus intentionally so that you become more like him. So you start to think as he would think and act as he would act. Now, that, obviously, that's a lifelong journey and none of you are going to get to the point where you're living exactly like Jesus, but that is the journey uh, that we're on. Uh, and so I've got four kind of areas. It's a bit scattergun, I hope. But here's this, this, this felt like boom. And I like quotes that make me feel vulnerable. Bill Hill... Bill Hull, in his uh, book, The Disciple-Making Pastor, he says this, The Western Evangelical Church is weak, self-indulgent, and superficial. It's been thoroughly discipled by its culture. Regardless of our nodding assent to the importance of Christian maturity, our passions lay elsewhere. We've sacrificed the poured-out life of a disciple 
on the altar of shallow success and self-gratification. I thought, oh, you got me. <laughs> and, and we probably could stop there and say, right, let's pray now. <laughs> because that is very challenging that we, we say, yes, 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 we want to be followers of Jesus, we want to be radical disciples of Jesus. But when it comes to it, our priorities have been uh, have, have laid elsewhere. And he says that we've been thoroughly discipled by the culture. The truth is everybody has been discipled by something. Everybody's been shaped and formed by something. You've been shaped and formed by some idea. You've been shaped and formed by those people around you. They're shaping and forming your culture. So if you've uh, lived in, uh, in the Western world, the, the culture, as I've talked about a few weeks ago, the culture has changed. And people have embraced that. Now, what's caused that? Has everybody gone away and individually thought through the issues? No, the culture is discipling you. Discipling you what you think on moral issues, discipling you to think on ethical issues. It's discipling you. You're being taught all the time. It's not neutral space. The reality is we're being taught to think a certain way. And uh, uh, so we think the world is neutral space, but either you're being conformed to the image of Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Son. Either you're being shaped to be like Jesus... Or you've been shaped to be like the world. Romans 12, 20, uh, 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern or being shaped to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the in your mind. There's a battle for your thinking. There's a battle for your behavior. And, and it's not neutral. If you're not doing something proactive, the reality is the culture, the prevailing culture around you is going to slide you into thinking like the world is thinking. Okay, now we don't want to be weird and separate from, from the, from, uh, from the uh, people out there. We want to live amongst those people, as it says in uh, Peter, uh, you know, but actually we need to be discipled by Jesus. We need to understand this. I've read this quote before. I like quotes that make you think. Um, I did debate whether to put it in or not. Uh, if you've seen this quote before, it's long, but it's from the start of a book uh, by, called The Call of Jesus uh, by a guy called Derek O. Worthington. He's from New York City. And that it just explains this idea of being in the world, but yet shaped by the world. So it's long, but I think it's worth it. It's a terrible mistake to assume that our world is neutral space. Far from neutral. The space in which we live is very much contested. Our homes, families, man, you know that, neighbourhoods and world are up for grabs. And there are real forces contesting for them. We see the world not as neutral, but contested. The visible brokenness in our world can only be understood and explained by forces seen and unseen. As broken and selfish people, we contribute to the world's pain. But also cultural idolatries and systemic evil is at work. It's not just, you know, there's more going on. When you look at the world, you think, Phew, there's more going on than it's just few ideas being batted around. He carries it on. This is the kind of world in which every man, woman and child is being discipled. Our lives are shaped not by chance and in many ways by choice, but by the forces that are vying to bend us in a particular way. We are by default disciples of the world. When, when being discipled by the world, our lives move, and this is interesting moves, from faith to doubt, from love to insecurity, from community to individualism from generosity to greed, and finally from rest to exhaustion. Doubtful and cynical, insecure and lonely, narcissistic and greedy, 
restless and exhausted. These are the kind of the disciples that the world creates. So far it's all bad news, isn't it? But <laughs> Jesus steps into this world to contest for a different kind of life. The kind of life found in the disciples he makes. Jesus promises to transform and teach his followers a new way. To bring them back from where their lives are being taken. To obtain what our hearts ache for demands movement. We have to move away from something else. From everything else. Embedded in the life of the discipleship is this mandate. We must move away from all other things to Christ. In Christ we find all things. This is the journey of discipleship. Basically what it's saying is if you, let the, if you are neutral, the world will make you cynical, exhausted, narcissistic, greedy and lonely. And that you need to be proactively saying, I'm throwing off those things, I'm getting rid of those things, and I'm seeking after Jesus. I'm going to put him first. I've often thought about it uh, this way, that, uh, and you might have heard me use the metaphor. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the, sort of the idea of black holes in the universe, um, the, 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 where the, the sense of gravity is so strong that it pulls everything in, so, in, so eventually no light or radiation, no matter, or light can escape. Everything is sucked into this black hole. And I think when sometimes, if you let yourself ultimately be discipled by the culture outside, by the world outside, you'll end up with a big black hole in the, side, in the center of you. And what will happen is that you will try to suck into yourself everything that makes you feel content, everything that makes you feel happy. You'll say, I need friends, I need finance, I need fun, I need these things in the middle of me, I need affirmation and appreciation. These things, I'll suck them into me and ultimately I'll be fulfilled and happy. But the bottom line is actually a black hole is all about emptiness. It's all about loneliness, it's all about self-obsession and greed. We've got to work against that event horizon. If you just sit neutrally, the event horizon of the black hole living is going to pull you in. Again, a great quote, German guy called Hermann Bavick said this, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our life becomes. With all its wealth and power, it can only show that the... The human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. So if you basically are saying, I'm going to let the things of the world, I'm going to draw in the things of the world, you will not end up satisfied, you'll end up exempt, empty and cynical and exhausted and more greedy. Jesus says, what does, what's the profit, what's the benefit if you gain the whole world and you have an empty soul? There's no benefit in it. We're all being discipled by something. So I hope at this point you're thinking, I need to be proactive about this. Because if you decide to go away and not be proactive about this, you will end up sliding into the black hole. You might say, oh, I've been brought up in church. I do kind of church. I go to church on Sundays occasionally. You know, it's okay. That's not enough. You need to be proactively moving the other way. So, okay, so that's my first point. Second point is how you begin as a disciple, how you begin as a Christian, is how you grow as a Christian, how you grow as a disciple. Give me two words what you'd say. This is, these are the two things that need to happen for you to become a Christian. 
Repentance. And what's the other thing? Faith. Yes, brilliant. Repentance. Repentance is basically saying, I'm going this way, I'm sliding this way, I'm living this way, and I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go towards Jesus. That's what repentance is. And, and faith is saying, okay, I look at those things, and I'm not going to put my trust in those things. I'm not going to put my trust in the world's ideas. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's the movement that you become a Christian. And actually, I used to think, well, the gospel or that kind of repentance and faith was what you did like when you were like 11 years old and your parents said, hey, do you want to become a Christian? And you, and you pray and you go, yes. But actually, the rest of the time, this discipleship thing was some weird thing like Star Wars and a, you know, the, the kind of Yoda, you need to find this guy, this guru who's going to teach you how to do the ways of the force. But actually, the way that you become a Christian, rejecting the ideas and patterns and thoughts of this world and putting your trust in Jesus, that's the way you live. That's the way you learn how to be a better parent. That's how you learn how to manage your money. That's how you learn to live in community. That's how you do it. So this sense of self-awareness is really important. To be aware that this is the world and this is what it promises and this is what it says. And I reject that and say, I'm aware of God and this is what he says and this is what he promises and I want that. You've got to be aware. It's interesting, just a, uh, just a little bit of theological tennis here for you. Two guys, a guy called uh, Augustine in the 5th century said this, Lord Jesus, let me know myself that I may know thee. So it sounds like you think, I'll start with myself, think about myself, and then I'll, then I'll be able to know God. And in one sense, you know, you can't disagree with Augustine. What he's saying is, you're going to look at yourself in here, being discipled by the world, and you're going to say, you know, there's something wrong with the world, Mama. You know, that's it. No one ever knows. I'm referencing the Black Eyed Peas from many centuries ago. There's something wrong with the world, something wrong with the big bad world. And you look at yourself and say, and I think most of us understand that. Most of us understand there's something about us, and you think, I need something. And then seek for God. John Calvin says the other way, and I kind of agree with him because we're a little bit more Calvinistic here. Uh, John Calvin says man, humanity, sorry, I apologize for 16th century non-inclusive language. Humanity never attains to a true self-knowledge until it has or he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look at himself. So there's another thing, see, you look at who Jesus is, you read the Gospels, you read about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you read the Gospels, you think, man, this Jesus is amazing. It's just something compelling about it, something that draws me, something that makes me think, whoa. And you probably do like Peter, if you know the story, Peter meets Jesus, he says, well, cast your net out and we'll give you more fish and it's amazing. And Peter doesn't go, great, I'm having a weekend off. He goes, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And it's almost like those two things, that awareness of who God is and that awareness of who you are is critical in discipleship. In other words, unaware people are really going to struggle to be disciples. So I'm going to do a little test with you now, and I want you to be honest, okay? The question is, how aware are you? You might think, I have got great dress sense. You might not think I've got, but I think I've got great dress sense. But when you ask somebody, they go, really? This is how it works in our family. I, I, I look, I sort of, we've sort of have a mirror, and I kind of pick out some sort of shirt and same jeans, I'm sorry, two pairs of shoes, that, you know, what? it's not difficult, I don't have a lot of choice, I put it on, I go downstairs, and Naomi goes, and I think, I look great, <laughs> I'm aware, I look great, and Naomi goes, you can't wear that with that, 
<laughs> I was like, well, why not? What's wrong with that? I can't, I can't wait with that with that. Go back upstairs and get changed. <laughs> so I come downstairs, and there I am. This is it. <laughs> it passed muster for Heather and Dan's on Friday, so I think it's going to work for church today. I was, nothing was said to me, you know? It's a bit like, I mean, I don't want to be too controversial, but I'm enjoying myself. If, if your uh, hus husbands, if your wife says, does my bum look big in this, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> Awareness is a funny thing, because we all think we're incredibly aware, but we just don't want the truth. You know, you can't handle the truth. We don't want the truth. Now, if you think about your character... Most of you think, I'm pretty cool and sorted. Now, if you think about your character, you probably think, I'm good and I'm sorted, I'm, I'm fine. But if you were to ask somebody, they then have a dilemma. Because they can tell you, no, your bum doesn't look big in that, you look great. <laughs> or you can, they can say, man, you know, there are some serious problems in your character. It sounds funny, but that is what discipleship is kind of about. It sort of starts with that honest look in the mirror. It can start with, with, with you just assessing yourself. The Bible, James, uh, Jesus' brother, writes in his letter that the, the Bible's like a mirror to your character. Let me read it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, in other words, you're not really a disciple, you just listened. So come on Sunday and listen, but don't do anything about it. You read your Bible during the week and don't do anything about it. It's someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after going away, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, that, that sense of you, you're reading the Bible, you're hearing the truth of the word, you're thinking, man, the Western church is like this or the, I'm like that, I'm being discipled by the word, and you kind of hear that and you do nothing about it. You, you're basically being unaware. You're like the guy that gets dressed in the kind of clashing clothes, looks in the mirror and says, hey, I think I look great. You've got to let the Bible teach you, but also you've got to let other people teach you. The Bible is nice, isn't it? I mean, in one sense, you can look in the mirror and think, I'm messed up and broken and damaged. And the mirror says back, you, my beloved son, I delight in you. And that's kind of nice. But you can also look in the mirror and say, I've got no issues, I've got no problems, I've got nothing to learn, I've got nothing to change, I'm a great husband, parent, great with my money. And the Bible goes back and says, hmm, Yeah? What do you do with that truth moment is critical in discipleship. Almost like Paul, running with this uh, metaphor about clothes, says this in Ephesians 4. I tell you this, and I insist in it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles, this has become the Gentiles, you know, over here where the world is discipling. Don't live like that. In the futility of your thinking... You were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self. It's almost like the picture is that your old self, your old way of thinking, your old life is like some inappropriate clothing and you take it off. You say, I'm done with it. And then it says, which has been corrupted with de de deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, the mind and the thinking, so important, and put on your new self, the, the self of Jesus, the one that's more like him, created to be like God. Wow, staggering. In true righteousness and holiness. Part of the discipleship process is for you to have an awareness of what kind of raggedy old clothes you're wearing 
and dare have somebody say, do you know, there's big holes in your character. There's rips over there, there's buttons missing, that you, and you don't want to hear that. You just want to hear, I'm looking good. But discipleship requires something to cut, the old to come off and the new to be made. Now, it's interesting, the context of this, uh, here's a picture by Rembrandt. Um, if you did the quiz, you should know your old masters by now. Um, picture of Rembrandt, and it's the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is a guy that says, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, not going to be uh, with my father. I'm not going to be discipled by him. I'm not going to love him. And he slides off into the black hole of famine and emptiness and whatever. And then he says, I- I'm going to come to my senses. Come to my senses. I'll arise and go back to my father. And he's heading back to his father. And the, what the father it says, the father's looking at him and sees him afar off and loves him and runs after him, puts his arms around him, and then says, not like in a really horrible condemning way, he just says, look, get these pig clothes off. Get these filthy pig's wool clothes off. Let's put this nice robe on you. That's what discipleship's like. It's not saying, you know, you know, you've got big issues, da-da-da, I really feel there's loads of trouble, I'm not really happy, you know, God's not really happy, you need to sort out your life. And we feel that that's what telling people the truth is like, but actually it's like, Ben, hey, what about this? What about this coat? What about, had, what about this way you're handling your money? What about taking that way off your handle money and put this way you're handling money? What about, I, I'm assuming you're great with your money, so well, good. Do you see how the difference is in, in how the, the, the father clothes us afresh? Uh, and, and that clothing is, is a sense of repentance. Take it off. And faith, put it on. And that's the discipleship process. But you need, you need the mirror, the truth of the Bible. You can do it on your own with the truth of the Bible. But generally, you need my next point. You need people. You need real community to get it done. You need somebody to say, why are you wearing that? Do you know? And I think that, just as before I move on, that is a, this is a huge challenge. To have people tell you the truth in love. You know, churches are great at telling you the truth without love, aren't they? We've all kind of been bit beaten up by church. There's somebody in church who's been like, oh, flip, really? But when the Father says, come and take that off, put that on, that's what feels great. And, 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 but we need to do that in community. So these things join up. There's supposed to be some logic in community discipleship and mission. I'm filling the third circle. A quote from Steve Timmis. So I'm not going to try and preach uh, Tom's sermon again, but hopefully land in and jump out. Church's community is not smart, uh, part of the small print. You know, you get these, you want to buy... Actually, I heard a funny joke about this. You know, like, does anybody ever read the, the, the small kind of terms and conditions on, um, on, like, iTunes or any of that? Do you know, does anyone read those things? You know, they're like pages and pages and pages. I only want to buy a rail ticket. You know, there's pages and pages. Do you agree with this? And you click it, and, and basically you've agreed. You know, you, I think it was uh, uh, Eddie Izzard said, you know, you agree. You can take my children. You know, my house is yours. Yes, I agree. Click. <laughs> you know, there's, there's kind of the, that sort of terms and conditions. The, the church is not part of the small print. Yeah, I forgive your sins. I love you. You go to heaven when you die. Oh, and by the way, you, you know, if you look very closely, you're supposed to be part of this annoying thing called church. 
It's not part of the small print. It's part of the gospel invitation. In other words, it's like this big invitation and it says, would you like to join God's people? God's family and God's people. It's not that I belong to God and to decide whether or not to be in community with other Christians, but being united with Jesus means I'm part of his body, of those united with him. Belonging to a church community is only optional if you've no real intention of being a true follower of Jesus. Boom, I love those that go, ooh. Being a Christian is a community reality. As we do these community, God first community groups, don't sign up if you're not going to go. I know some of you have got shift patterns and I know some of you, you can't go if it's meeting and a kind of regular thing and one, one has to stay and look after kids and the other. I know that. But don't say you're going to be a regular a disciple of Jesus if you've got no intention of being in community. Now, I know you could say it's not, that's not the only way you express it, but it is one way, and it's one way we'd really like you to express it. You need to say, I'm going to be part of this community so that actually I'm going to get to the point where people can say, your bum looks big in this. I must, I must use another phrase, mustn't I? It's not helping. But you, know, you must get to the point where somebody can say, how would you know what you're like? And you go, Phew. but it's not because they hate you or because they're trying to score a point against you, but it's because they're your friends, they're your family, they're your community, they're the people you're sharing life with and they want you to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Somebody once said, there's no healing in hiding. If you come to church, and this is how it works sometimes, and if you were late this morning, it's not a dig at you, but you can come to church and you can come late, you can sit in these seats, and then when it all finishes, you can bolt out. And I know that it's kind of like, this is a church that if you're extra, it's easy because we go in there and have talk to each other and actually have conversation. And if you're an introvert, it's harder. But, but what we're trying to do is not to say, look, coffee's really important, isn't it? You know, we love coffee or we love biscuits. What we're trying to say is, no, I want to be in community. And this is the connecting point. This is where you say, oh, all right, okay, well, let's do that this week. What are you doing? Let's, let's hook up. It's the kind of place where you're trying to find community. And if you hide away, and I know for some of you that's really hard, because you think, it really cost me to, to, to get real and to get connected. I know that's really hard, but actually you've got to step beyond that. Uh, a church that looks full of fixed-up-together people, where we come and we think, right, I'm just going to look really spiritual this morning. I'm going to get my Bible and carry my iPad with the church uh, website up and I'm going to look great and I'm going to make a big show of putting my money in the pot or whatever you do to look spiritual but you never connect with anyone nobody's ever going to be discipled if the church culture is we better perform and look good it's never, you're never going to get real you're never going to get discipled and now it's not that you come every week and say oh my life's been terrible it sucks oh dear oh, and have a good moment but what we say is let's be real Let's be real. Uh, let's, let, let's, let, without true community, the core of ourselves as individuals are never centered on Jesus, but you need people who love you and say, come on, let's go this way. And what happens is, uh, is we, we tend to fake it. In society, we tend to fake it. I've, I've used this quote before. Dennis Coupland in his uh, book, Lady in a Coma, says this, nobody believes the identities we've made for ourselves. I feel like everyone in the world is fake. He's not a Christian, this guy. It's just a... Uh, a secular author, I feel like everyone in the world is fake now. As though people had true cause once, but hide them away and replace them with something more attractive but also more hollow. We can do that. 
You know, you, you can be in lots and lots of communities out there and feel like everybody knows you, but basically no one knows you at all because you're just all pretending and playing the game. I had some years away from a Christian community and the thing that shocked me most was not that we didn't have fun, we did have fun and we did things that I'm ashamed of now, but actually how incredibly shallow it all was because I was just pretending to have great dress sense and be a cool guy. But actually, nobody knew inside that, you know, actually I struggle with feeling like no one loves me and I struggle feeling like I'm not good enough. And I struggle with thought patterns. And I, You don't say that to anybody, do you? Because you want to look like a cool guy. You're never going to say, you know, I feel lonely. Because, whoa, that is the, that's, that's social suicide, isn't it? Uh, let me, uh, we resort to hiding in plain sight. We create identities we believe to be more accepted, less rejected, more lovable. And while we've made ourselves more attractive, we've become, in the process, more empty, scarred and hidden. If you're going to pretend, you're already sliding back here. You're already sliding back here. And if no one can say to you, you know, what, what are you doing in that relationship with your boyfriend, girlfriend? What are you doing? If no one can say that, if no one, and you go, how dare you, I'm leaving the church. You'll never change. You know, we need to have, we need to have a community of, like, friends, we need to be like the, the big group hug. Our God First communities need to be this amazing kind of group hug where you feel like, oh, I'm cared for. Now, the way that it works in, in, in group hugs is you have to be involved in the group hug. I know some of us would like to stand in the middle and have group, everybody group huggers, you know, because obviously I'm needy and I need caring for and I need loving. Now, what happens in a group hug is you all hug each other. You're all kind of, hey, we're all friends together. Let's all hug together. And, and, and that's... That's what happens. Paul says, how, how does it work? How does discipleship work? He says, we cared for you. That's the church in Thessalonica. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. We're going to tell you the truth of the gospel. We'll tell you you need to put those things off and repent of those things and put on and trust. We're going to do that in community together. You can't be a disciple unless you allow other people into your life. I meet with Paul Hunt in a three, I'll talk about threes in a minute, but actually what he's constantly encouraging uh, uh, me for my, my kids, my boys, is they need someone who's going to like love them and cheer for them and encourage them and speak truth to them and be a father to them and move them on. And, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody older than you, it can be, but you just need somebody. You just need somebody who's going to be there. When I was in my, just married, so 20 odd years, 25 years ago, there were three guys in the church. Um, and what, what I did is I said, right, okay, I, I get this. I get I need someone who's going to be there for me, but is also going to challenge me. Is going to tell me the truth. It's going to be accountable to me, and I'm going to be accountable to them, and we're going to challenge each other. So the guy on the left is called Pete Comfort. The guy in the middle is that really good-looking, unself-aware guy. And the guy on the right is a guy called Matthew Hosier. Now, interestingly, years on, the three of us actually are the UK advance team. How random is that? So this network of 15 churches in the UK, we're the kind of team, which it feels really strange. But what happened is we used to meet 
every Friday morning, it always feels Friday is holy, we used to meet every Friday morning, we'd meet at 6.30 and we'd have those character conversations when we were first married and I'm saying, I'm round with Naomi again, my credit card's got, you know, we're having discussions about life and they're challenging me and I'm challenging them and we're loving each other and we're for each other and you know, even while we're telling each other, yes, you can't wear that, you look terrible, what are you like? Why are you like that with people on Sunday morning? I just noticed you lost your temper again. Or whatever's going on, you know, in the end, I didn't think, I hate, I hate these people. I think, I love these people. These are my best friends now. These are the ones I are like, here, let's hang together. When we got to do the team together, I thought, great. Because, well, let's do New Year together. We've done New Year together for ages. Because they've told me the truth about myself and loved me. Being a disciple and risking that conversation requires real community. It requires real trust in others, born out of time together, born out of vulnerability and acceptance and trust, born out of honesty and openness, born out of confession and trust and faithfulness. That's how a disciple works. It needs to be in community. So you need to get yourself in a God-first community. But one of the things that we, that we did, and I didn't realise this was a kind of trendy thing in the States, but actually I thought, oh, this thing worked really well for me to get in this group with these guys and, and say, how are we doing? So what we did with amazing wisdom and insight, we do these things called threes. This is our description of threes. It's moving page on the website, so if it disappears, it will be back. Threes are people of the same gender. It's a bit confusing if it's not the same gender. Who, reg- who meet regularly for character conversations. So they are going to say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And sometimes they're going to come back and say, you're great. But I'm also going to say, mirror, mirror on the wall, Paul Hunt, who's the fairest of them all? And he said, well, I've just got a few things I need to work through with you. I was like, oh, Paul, you're too good at this. (laughs) Character conversations. Not that Paul's the best one. You can have your own. I'm encouraging everybody, get in a group first, be in community, in these God-first communities, but find one or two Three people of the same gender who you can say, let's talk about life. Let's do repentance and faith. Let's, the, who meet regularly for character conversations, spiritual growth, to share life together and to stir one another to be gospel-shaped, mission-focused followers of Jesus. Threes of no leaders and can meet anytime, anywhere. Sometimes you've got this idea that if you're going to be a disciple, like I say, you need to look for Yoda in the swamp somewhere of the church office. You know, he'll be there. And you kind of get in with him and he tells you how to lift aircraft out of the water and do amazing things. That most discipleship isn't like that. It's just let's find some friends and let's be honest and bring each other to Jesus. We've a little acrostic with this. Tea, time together, ideally once a week, an hour. Honesty, openness, a confession. You've got to just, you know, don't lie. There's a point of saying, you know, pretending getting your image and saying, don't I look great, aren't I great? Don't lie. If you haven't read your Bible for a month, say, I haven't read my Bible for a month. And they'll go, mm, well, okay, that, we still love you, but let's talk. What's, what's the issue here? What's going on here? How can we help you? Reading and applying the truth together. You know, what, what's God been speaking to you? If you don't know, the, don't know the answer to the question, what's God saying to you, then you've probably not been a conscious disciple. Encouraging, 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 encouraging. And eating together, it's sometimes good to say, let's share life and just eat, hang out. It's not, it's not a codependency community. 
where we share our badness and we all kind of gather around our badness, our brokenness. It is a, actually, it should gather around Jesus. The direction of all discipleship, the community of disciples, is to uh, bring us to Jesus and the life-changing truth of his gospel. I'm going to race through the last point. It's not as long. Last point then. Disciples are God's way to change the world. Disciples are God's way to change the world. They're the engine in the car of churches. Jesus came to them, a familiar passage, but Jesus came to them and said, all authority is risen from the dead, crucified, risen from the dead. All authority in heaven and earth is being given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Baptizing is saying, I'm, I'm plunged under the water, dead to this old way, this black hole living, this disciple by the world, up, risen with Christ, empty, washed of those old clothes, clothed in new clothes, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you do what Jesus taught. Not because you must, but because you love him. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's with us in this. He's not just saying, off you go with a little community project to help each other, a little self-help. He's with us in this. Let me put some other words. John 15, Jesus again. Jesus says, if you are at home in me and my words are at home in you, it's the kind of mirror, it's the clothes off, clothes on in truth. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Sounds like, whoa, magic genie lamp. But actually, if you're understanding the words and truth of Jesus, what you're really asking, most of the time I'm asking, Jesus, change me. Jesus, love me, transform me. And then he says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. That compelling community out there in the world where people see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven comes because we've been transformed to be more like Jesus. And the more we are, the more compelling that community is. Let's finish one quote and then we'll break bread. I love this quote. Jesus spent nine-tenths of his time with 12 Jews because that was the only way to reach all America. It's genius, isn't it? We can, you can get with three, four guys, three or four girls, and have them pour their life into you, and you pour their life, your life into them, and tell each other the truth, and bring each other to Jesus. Those relationships can be life-changing, world-transforming. That's the Jesus method. You want to reach UK? Be a disciple who lives out there in the world. When Jesus was going to go to the cross, he talked about it in strange terms. He said, Now the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's almost as if Jesus was saying his body was like a, a grain of wheat. It was dead and buried. And what happens in... It's actually been torn very nicely for the illustration. What happens with a seed is that something just kind of starts to 
crack open and, and new shoots come under the ground and out they, they burst. And suddenly, instead of one Christ, out comes sprouting up hundreds of little Christs, little Christians, hundreds of ones in his way. So Jesus' body was broken on the cross. It's almost like he was split apart. His life was scattered, as it were. His life was poured out into these seeds, and out of the grave came this resurrection body, and, and from this resurrection body, lots and lots and lots of new Christs filling the world. And that's what you're called to do. As you come and take the bread, you're saying, I'm done with my old way. I am again repenting. I'm saying, I'm done with this. And again, you're saying, I'm choosing Jesus. I'm choosing faith. I'm clothing myself again with this. But you're also saying that, that I'm, 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 I'm willing to live this way. I'm living to, to, to live the, the, the way of a disciple. I'm living to say, let my life be broken open and poured out. So I don't just remind myself, but... Many, many come out like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pushes it home. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-shaped suffering that every disciple must experience is a call to abandon the attachments of the world. That's where we started. It's the dying to the old self, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ. In union with his death, we give our lives over to death. I'm done with the old fella. Done with the old life. The old clothes. The old thinking. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our community journey, our communion journey with Christ. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. When we share Christ's broken body by faith, drink his blood for forgiveness, we're saying, I'm joining you on the journey. I'm joining you on the journey of a broken life to change the world. If you're not a Christian this morning, it's easy to become one. You need that moment of awareness where you say, I'm done with this world and the thinking and the patterns of this world. Not living in the world, but done with the thinking and patterns of this world. I turn from that, I repent, and I put my trust in Jesus. And I'm saying, it's you alone who's going to shape my life. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.